How many of you made any kind of New Year's resolution for 2020? Anybody make a New Year's resolution? Really? All right, Ben, you and I will just have a conversation then because this applies to nobody else. So um, was one of your resolutions to play guitar and keyboard at the same time? Because now it is. <laughs> um, you just aren't acknowledging it, are you? Have you, have you just, have we just, have that's where we are. Have we just given up now? We're just like, it's, this is as good as it's going to get. And we're just going to maintain now. Um, I, maybe uh, I'm going to challenge you to rethink your resolution to not make resolutions. And uh, let's, let's, can we just do this? Can you play along with me? Can you engage with me for the next few minutes as if you made a New Year's resolution? Can you at least humor me a little bit like that? Okay, great. Starting to really rethink this Sunday night church thing. Uh, how, many, <laughs> how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Ever in your life? How many of you more than once have done that? Have resolved the same thing more than once? Three times, five times, at least a dozen times, and that's why you don't make New Year's resolutions anymore. I gotcha. I understand. Statistically, 40 to 50% of Americans make some sort of New Year's resolution. And I understand this group is exceptional, or the exception, one or the other. But according to the same study, 50% of those same New Year's resolutions are broken by the end of the first week, and 90% are broken by June. Another study compiled a list of the most popular New Year's resolutions, and uh, before I read them to you, let's see if uh, we can guess a couple of them, okay? So uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing you'll probably guess number one. Most popular New Year's resolution has to do with, all together now, lose weight. That's right, yes. Has to do with weight and dieting and all that, which is really remarkable because aren't we just like the most super educated when it comes to this stuff? Like, don't we know better and we still eat too much of the wrong stuff, you know? Um, this is uniquely American, by the way, you know, that, oh my gosh, uh, I am well-informed and we don't have enough money, but oh wow, I'm eating too much. This is a uniquely American issue. Um, here are the top 10 New Year's resolutions uh, study done like three, four years ago, four years ago. Um, and you don't have to raise your hands to own any of these, just, um, you just listen. Number one, lose weight. Number two, get out of debt slash save money. Number three, get a better job. I find that one interesting. Number four, spend more time with family. Number five, quit smoking. And I would just say, if you're a smoker, I suggest you move that to the top because we love you. We want you around for a long time. And uh, actually, if you uh, lose weight and spend more time with your family but keep smoking, I'm not sure if any of that matters if you're not here. So I'm just you know, throwing that out there. Number six, eat better. Kind of goes with the first one. Number seven, go back to school. Uh, number eight, reduce stress. So I'm not sure. Eat. I don't know how you're eating better, losing weight works with the stress thing. Maybe we, they all have to work in tandem. Uh, number nine, this is a fairly new one, go greener. And then the last one, I think this is total guilt trip, New Year's resolution, because whoever put this list together uh, felt guilty and it's help others. That's number 10. That's, that's the last of the list. So at least, eight, at least eight of the other nine are totally self-absorbed. And then, oh yeah, one of my New Year's resolutions is to help others. Uh, a little disingenuous. But anyway, uh, who needs 10 New Year's resolutions anyway? We do well or poorly with one or two. I don't always make New Year's resolutions. I usually don't, uh, but I have in the past. I've succeeded at some of them. Some of them was just a joke how pathetic I was at following through. Um, sometimes I keep them to myself. Sometimes I share them with Alethea. Sometimes I share them with friends. But um, I don't know about you, but I'm a goal setter. I had goal setting instilled in me at, at a really young age. 
uh, in the Christian school that I attended growing up, uh, our curriculum was set up so that you could progress at your own pace, and we set daily academic goals. And if you got all your goals completed for the day, you didn't have homework that night. And But whatever you didn't get done was your homework, and you could have a truckload of homework. And then some of us nerd types finished our goals and then still took homework just because we just loved learning so much. So. Several years ago, I was uh, introduced to a time management concept where you do your in-detail planning uh, in six-week increments. And that model kind of fit me so well that I, that's how my goal setting has worked ever since. Like for several years now, I've been working with that approach. And since most of what I do in my life and in the life of the church and in relationships and in this mission that God has called us to, you know, to make disciples, it's hard to quantify um, and it's hard to measure, it's hard to compute, and it, you can't really put it on a chart and know exactly where you stand. So whenever and wherever I can in my life, I like to have some clearly stated goals for myself. <clears throat> then there are some uh, certain seasons of the year that just lend themselves to clarifying and restating and maybe reprioritizing around some clearly defined goals. In the beginning of a new year, I know it's not our first Sunday in the new year, but it's early enough, right? It's certainly not too late to get in on this. And I think this is a natural time in our calendar for some recalibration. So I don't know about you, but I have some goals for 2020. I'm not calling them New Year's resolutions because that's too... Uh, it, it's just I get defeated real quickly on that. So it's just a goal. It's a goal for, the, for 2020. Um, I have some goals for some health goals. Uh, I have some financial goals. I have some relational goals. I have some goals for my personal ministry. I have some goals for our church ministry. I have some goals for my own personal growth and development. So how many of you are goal setters? You would like to think that, yes, I'm a goal setter. I function well that way. <laughs> And like I might have a document on my computer or one I can access on my phone and I think, oh, I'm all that, but you have like a three ring binder that's this thick and indexed and color coded. Uh, yeah, yeah, so you're that, I get it. Uh, you couldn't wait for 2019 to end so you could sit down and evaluate and look at all the things that you accomplished in the last year and check some things off and readjust and set up some new goals. Um, and if you're married, it's not enough then that you have goals for yourself because you've got goals for your husband, your wife, you've got goals for your kids, you've got goals for your employees and for your employers and uh, all that's fine. It's right, it can very easily become an illness, so watch out for that. I want to talk about a couple things uh, for a few minutes. I want to talk about a personal attainable goal for 2020, and then I want to talk about something much bigger than a goal. Uh, I want to talk about a mission. A mission not only for us as individuals, but a mission for us as uh, this body of believers in this local church. So first of all, I want to talk about this personal goal. For years, I've been trying to answer people's questions about the Bible. People will come up to me, they'll come up to me if they see me out in public, they'll call me, not so much anymore, they'll text me, they'll email me, they'll message me, they'll post something on Facebook with me tagged in it, and for the most part, uh, I try to answer their questions best I know how. Uh, my favorite one, actually, hey, uh, hey Sue, do you do me a favor? In the green room, I left two books on the, uh, on the sofa thingy in there. Would you bring them to me? I'll meet you halfway. Uh, so yeah, people would, oh, I don't want to step out there and make the mic do something weird, so just be ready. Okay, okay thank you. We're going to relay some books up here, and I'll just stand here and talk to Kevin about our favorite what books. Our favorite what books. book is this one? Well, I think, I think these are a couple of your favorites right here. Oh, I read right those here. last week. Did you? Yeah, again. You again, read them again, yeah. Time. Yeah, this one. That's a small one. That's the one, yeah. So anyway, oh, pulled something. So I have a couple books here. This one. There was a day when, uh, this is possibly the longest, the biggest book in my library. 
Um, my library, listen to me. It's a bookshelf. Um, <laughs> my favorite is when people come up to me and they ask, where in the Bible does it say? And then, uh, I love that, okay? So like, Pastor Todd, where in the Bible does it say that we're supposed to whatever? So they're like, where does it say we're supposed to make disciples? So while we're still on the phone or they've just just texted me and I get on my Bible app and I type make disciples and in the search bar and I click the little magnifying glass and I'm and bam oh it's that easy oh well that's easy that's Matthew 28 verse 19 oh Pastor Todd you're so smart oh I wish I would I wish it's like I wish I went to seminary there you know so much about the Bible there was a day this is what I don't understand there was a day if you're looking for a specific word or phrase in the Bible you would have to dig out one of these this is Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible. It's called that because you get exhausted carrying it around. What I don't understand is this is my Bible, and these are all the words in the Bible. I don't under, what I don't get the math. But anyway, this one was originally published in 1890. Not this particular, this isn't that version. They originally published in 1890. This one, uh, Dad may remember, come, came from the library of Peter Bartow of Carsdale, Nova Scotia. Um, it was handed down to me from the library of, says right here, Dr. Bob Crossway, Granville Ferry, Nova Scotia. So uh, it actually wasn't that many years ago, because I'm not that old, that you had to actually use a book like this to find specific words in the Bible. This book has every word in the Bible indexed, with the exception of 47 words that occur frequently, and even those are listed in the preface. So you want some good, you finished reading the phone book? and you finished reading, I don't know, the index of your encyclopedia, I would suggest you check this out next. So this is Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. What I'm saying is, uh, what I'm saying is there's no need to carry that book around anymore, even if you are a lover of bound paper. There's no need to, to purchase expensive concordance, uh, concordances. There's no need to have a seminary degree. There's no need to be functionally illiterate when it comes to the Bible. We have so many tools at our disposal. My favorite tool right now is the Bible app. And a lot of you use it too. And a lot of you are disappointed because I messed up the event for tonight. Sorry. But the Bible app was launched as uversion.com. Do you remember uversion.com? Uh, by Life Church in Oklahoma. Craig Groeschel is a pastor at Life Church. And, and, it, uh, and he said it was okay if I told the story. So uh, it, then it morphed very, sh very shortly, it morphed into the Bible app. Uh, it's, a, it's a simple, ad-free Bible that brings God's Word into your daily life. In generations past, the access that people had to the Bible was very limited. Do you realize in the story of our faith, the idea that we have access to the Bible is a relatively new thing? And the fact that we have it on one of these that we can slide in our pocket everywhere we go is even newer, obviously. Because like in the last 15 to 20 years, the internet has brought about a revolution that empowers people like never before. And then next thing we know, we're just getting used to that awesome thing. And then smartphones come along and like now my Bible and everything I need to know is right there. And churches and organizations like Life Church in Oklahoma are leading the way in utilizing technology to demonstrate how the Word of God relates to everybody. Do you know the curriculum we use in uh, Jammers with our uh, preschool kids? comes from our friends at Life Church uh, through the Bible app for kids. So if you have kids in Jammers or you have grandkids who you'd like to see in Jammers, check out the Bible app for kids. Get them on there every time they're in your house. It just might open the door 
to an opportunity to bring them to experience the Bible app for kids with other kids in Jammers. So it's, a, it's just an incredible tool. So anyway, it's been a couple of years since I've really talked about this on purpose. So uh, tonight I just want to challenge you to download the Bible app. And I understand when I first challenged people this a few years ago, people were still struggling with the idea of doing reading on, on a mobile device. I think we're down that path now. We understand like that's it's how we get a lot of information into us. Download the Bible app. Click on the plans button, which is in the middle of the toolbar at the bottom of the screen. Find a plan that works for you. If you've never done a reading plan before, I would really uh, just recommend uh, trying out the one-year New Testament. Just type in New Testament in the search box, and you'll see one there called Daily New Testament, and choose quarter one, because we're in quarter one, and you'll read the entire New Testament by the end of the year 2020. And you can see a calendar view. You can share your daily reading on social media. Be careful with that. That can be a little bit obnoxious, but it also can be an encouragement. Uh, one of the greatest features of the Bible app is, can you say it with me? is the catch me up button, right? If you've ever done a reading plan on the Bible app, you know how to use the catch me up button because if you get behind, uh, you just click catch me up and it recalculates the remainder of the plan and you might read a little bit more each day, but you'll still finish on your target date. I know it sounds like a commercial for the Bible app, but I found a tool I love. Um, I wanna share it with you. I wanna see our church using it. Um, and I know a lot of you are using it too. Uh, some of you read the Bible on your computer. Some of you are using a tablet. I use my phone. Um, I just want you to be familiar and comfortable and knowledgeable about the scriptures. And I've heard all the excuses. I've, I've heard them all. And we've all used, I'm so busy. I'm just so busy. I don't know how I'd ever, I'm just so busy, Todd. I, comp I completely understand. And God, almighty God, creator God, understands that you are a busy person. He gets it that he understands that you don't have time for his word. He gets it. I'm laying it on a little thick right now. But we've got important things to do, you know. I'm not, well, and that, that's something that we just have to work on our priorities and our time management. But this one, I'm not much of a reader. I've heard that a lot, too, and I get that. Like, I get it. I understand that. I understand why reading the Bible can be such a challenge. It's not the easiest read, let's be honest. And it's intimidating. Did I mention that in the Bible app, you can listen to the scripture as well? So that's right, up, open up the text, click the speaker icon in the top right, and now that excuse is gone and you can listen anytime. So all the time we spend maybe sitting in our car listening to who knows what, we could be listening to the word of God and getting that into us. Um, there's, and there's always this excuse, well, I've read it, but I don't understand what I'm reading. I don't understand it. I'm just... I don't know if you've ever used that excuse or heard that excuse. Let's just say we've heard that excuse, yes? I don't under I'd read it, but I don't understand it. So I'm not going to read something I don't understand. Really? Did you go to school at all? <laughs> Isn't that what you do in school? Didn't you, in school, read about things that initially you did not understand, right? And then eventually, through the reading and through the interaction with teachers and other students, you come to understand, right? So I brought this with me, my favorite. I'm not sure why I haven't sold this yet, but this is uh, college algebra. Um, it's good stuff in here. It's a life-changing read, really. Um, I took one look at this and said, I don't understand any of this. I'm not reading this. I got better things to do than read something I don't understand. Somebody tell me what this means. This is too confusing. Actually, it's not what I did. We stayed with it because we're so curious to learn about 
exponential and logarithmic functions and geometric sequences and polynomial inequalities. No, no, we stayed with it because we needed to graduate. That's why we did it. So we dug, listen though, we dug into some stuff we didn't know about. We dug into some stuff we didn't understand and we learned it. So why would we do any less with the word of God? So don't let your limited understanding be a barrier to experiencing God's word. So I would just say to you, push through. The stuff you don't understand, just read it and push through. And I promise you, the more that you read, the more familiar you become, the more open you become to the input of the Holy Spirit, the more you uh, learn about the writer, about the audience, about the culture, about the issues of the day, the more we eventually understand. Do you know, uh, I just looked it up yesterday, 400, over 400 million users in every country on the globe have downloaded the Bible app. Um, it blows my mind to think if they had monetized this thing, what would have happened to that? But I, abs- I, I, I know it wouldn't be at this scale. And the idea is to get God's word into people's hands and into their minds and into their hearts. And um, it's just amazing to watch that number keep climbing. Um, so this is a measurable, trackable, achievable goal with huge spiritual implications for each of us. And there's not much that we can offer in the life of the church that can be like have that kind of guarantee. So I just want to challenge you to take a look at what you're doing right now as far as interaction with God's word and find the tools that work for you. If you're, if you're a bound paper, bonded leather, notebook and paper and pen kind of person, do that. Um, if you're on your phone for everything else but that, give it a shot. So anyway, that's one personal goal. Um, I want to talk about, uh, I want to just kind of shift from goal to mission. And a mission um, that really is not just for us as individuals, but a mission for us as a body of believers in this local church. Because here's the truth. Everybody comes to church with an expectation. Our expectations are determined by all kinds of things by our childhood, by uh, what we've been taught, by good experiences, by bad experiences in the church. And as you know, there are all kinds of of flavors and colors and feelings and tones. Even in Ellsworth, there's every kind of thing in the world that you could expect from a church. Whatever it is, you can find it without going too far. But the interesting thing is this. The church does not belong to the people of the church. Okay? Okay? And if you come from a church experience that is, or maybe it's a uh, congregational-led kind of, that you might push against that. But here's what I mean. The church belongs to the founder of the church, and the founder of the church is none other than Jesus Christ. The church belongs to Jesus. And Jesus made it very clear in his life what the point and what the purpose of the church would be. And it's interesting when you go from church to church to church, You'll wonder sometimes if we're even in the same realm of Christianity when you look at the different things that churches wrap their identity around and the things that churches focus on. So I want to talk about the bullseye, the grand slam, what it is that Christ originally set up the church to accomplish, and I feel like it's important to talk about. Let's talk about why we're here, what the focus, what the purpose is, and and I find that at least once a year, uh, a lot of times at the beginning of the year, it's good to refresh our minds about what it is we're trying to accomplish here in this setting. Uh, maybe for you this gets repetitive, but for me, I don't think I can ever hear this or talk about this or revisit this enough because it's really easy to get distracted from the main thing. This is my concern, and here's why I want to spend a few minutes tonight talking about this. There's always pressure on the leadership of a church. There's always pressure on a congregation to succumb to the secondary issues. 
the secondary purposes and to abandon the thing, the reason, the bullseye that Christ established the church to accomplish. So let's take a few minutes to review church. You know, why we're here, what does God uh, want to do at Faith Community? In Matthew 28, if you've been around for very long, you've heard at least a dozen sermons on this passage, but it's an important passage because in Matthew 28, Jesus gives a charge to a group of people that eventually it becomes the purpose and the focal point of the purpose of the church. So at this point, Jesus has already been uh, crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's gathering his followers together to kind of give them his last words before he ascends to be with the Father. So Matthew 28, verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the thing that has to happen. Make disciples. That's the only imperative in there. Teaching, baptizing, communicating, all support those two words, make disciples. So what's that mean? It means to take people who are not disciples and to turn them into disciples. So, so what's a disciple? Disciple isn't really a Christian word. It isn't a church word, although you hear it and we use it mostly in the church context. A disciple, technically, is simply a follower and a learner. So Jesus says to these men, he's like, okay, guys, I'm leaving. It's been great, but I'm leaving. and I want you to go and find some men and women who are not followers of me, who aren't learning anything about me. I want you to turn them into people who follow me, who are constantly learning from and about me. That's your mission. And then he exits very dramatically. You know what they did? They did exactly what he said to do. They left that area. They took off to go to people who weren't followers or learners of Jesus. They began to teach and to talk about Jesus. And what do you know? Right there in Jerusalem, a whole bunch of Jews started listening. And thousands of people became followers and learners, disciples of Jesus right there in Jerusalem. And then some people left Jerusalem. They really left because they were forced out. And they began to go to all these different parts of the, of the known world and they would come into a city and they would talk in a public forum about Jesus. And most people would turn up their nose like they do now, but few, a few would hang back and listen. And they would talk to them about Jesus and before you know it, they'd have a handful of people who became followers of Jesus. And they would talk to them about all the things that Jesus had told them about. And then they go to another city and another city and another city and soon there were cities where dozens of people had become disciples learners, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus left, he left a handful of people who went out and put together pockets of people that became known as the church. Those who came together to teach and to learn the things of Christ and to live in community with one another. Now, I want to show you a verse, and this is an amazing verse that tells us a lot about who we are as Christians. And maybe you've read this verse, and maybe this is a new verse for you. But this is a verse in the book of Acts, and it takes place just a few years after Jesus is gone. And Paul comes along, the Apostle Paul, and he, he charges out into Asia Minor and into parts of Europe, and he begins planting churches. And he's like this big church planter, that's his thing, and he goes out making disciples everywhere. And there's this city called Antioch. And Antioch, if you're looking at a map, I have a map here and it's not very clear, but it's, uh, the circle is kind of, that's where Jesus' ministry was focused in the circle. But way up north is the city Antioch and it's uh, Syrian Antioch. It's in modern day Turkey. And uh, so Paul heads up there. This is the first Gentile church. Think about that. Way up there, a group of people had become disciples and they had come together in an assembly known as the church. 
And so Barnabas, one of the guys uh, who was instrumental in bringing these people together and making disciples in this area, he calls for Paul. And an interesting thing happens, and you look at this next verse. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Verse, let's do 25, actually. Acts eleven twenty-five says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, or Paul, same person. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Paul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Let me ask you a question. What kind of people were in this assembly in Antioch? Actually, show me the rest of the verse. I think I have it there. Do I, uh, Jen? What kind of people? To say? Disciples. Okay, it says disciples. These, all these disciples came together from these, in these assemblies all over. It says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Not the 12 apostles, or not the 11 disciples that were remaining, but all these people who were learners and followers and disciples of Jesus, they were first called Christians in Antioch. And it's interesting because if, if someone were to ask you, are you a disciple? Oh, no, man, they all died a long time ago and we got lots of churches named after them. Are you a disciple? And you might say, well, of whom? So the word disciple was so general that they came up for a term that would, they were going to use to replace the word disciple, but it meant the same thing. And instead of calling them disciples, which was a general term, they started to call them Christians. Do you know why? Because the word Christian means literally a Christ one, being one of Christ's people. And all these people saw these disciples who were constantly talking about Jesus, who were followers of Jesus, who were so devoted to the way of Jesus that they were publicly identified with him that people started to say, oh, you're a Christ one. You're one of his people. You're a Christian. So today we refer to one another as Christians. But unfortunately, I fear that we've kind of lost the passion of the word that goes back to being a disciple and a follower and a learner. So to go all the way back to the hillside with Jesus that day, here's what he did essentially for the 11. He said, I want you to go out and make Christians. I want you to go out and make Christ ones. I want you to go out and produce in people a passion to follow and learn about me. And then we're going to group up in assemblies, and those assemblies are going to become known as churches. And those churches are assemblies of Christ ones who are committed to making more Christ ones. They are churches and assemblies of learners and followers who are committed to making more learners and followers. And that's exactly what happened through history, and that's exactly why we're here today. The purpose of the church is very simple. It's make disciples. It's come together, pool your resources, pool your talents and gifts, encourage one another, get involved in one another's lives, hold each other accountable, worship together, do all of that. But the bullseye, the reason we're here, the reason we exist as a church is to make disciples. That is, Jesus would say to us, just as I expected in the wake of the 11 disciples but for there to be new disciples, I expect in the wake of the church for there to be new disciples, new followers, new learners, new Christ ones, new Christians. That's what the mission and the purpose of the church is. There are all kinds of secondary peripheral things that we could get involved in, and that's okay. But the main thing, the thing that marks our success, the thing that would mark our church, the kind of church Jesus would want to be a part of, is that with everything else that we're doing, one thing's for certain, we're making disciples. We're taking people who don't believe, who aren't following, who, aren't, who are just kind of perfectly happy not believing and not following, and we're getting so involved in their lives, using our gifts and our relationships, and just praying and accepting and loving to the point where they do believe. 
and they want to follow Jesus, and they want to learn all there is to know about Jesus. And then they go out into the world, in their families, and their workplace, and their sphere of influence, and they begin to make disciples themselves. A church is just a gathering, an assembly of disciples who are making disciples. That's what church is. And, and a focus on programs and meetings and power and influence and buildings and properties is a shortcut. I would say, actually, it's an admission of failure. And Jesus says it's real clear. You just get involved in the life of some people. You love them to the point where they're interested, and you do all that you can to lead them to become one of my disciples. Let's call them Christians. This is the way we say it at Faith Community. We say that our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That our mission is to make disciples. It's to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ for the good of our community and for the sake of the world. That's how we say it. Here's the deal. If we're going to partner together, if you choose to get involved, maybe this is the year, or maybe you just keep coming on Sundays, here's what we want you to know. We want you as a Christian to get involved in the lives of other people to lead them into a growing a lifestyle, an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a participant in this church, in order for us to stay on purpose and to stay on track with what God has called us to do, every one of us who's a member or a regular attender has to be involved, but we've got to partner together in this process because that's what God has planted the church to do. I sometimes wonder, well, if it's so simple and clear, then why... Why, are, why do other churches do different things? Why do churches focus on all these different things? Um, I'm going to give you my opinion on that. I grew up in church. I'm, I wrote it down, 50-ish years old. And I've been in ministry for 30 years. I've, I've been behind the curtain in the church world my whole life. I've been in different kinds of churches, seen all kinds of different things, heard all kinds of wacky things, did the seminary thing. It's a pretty informed opinion, but it's just my opinion. Here's why churches get off track. Because what we're trying to do and what Jesus commissioned us to do is incredibly, incredibly difficult. What he's called us to is hard. Think about this. We're trying to get people, I don't know, maybe some of you are those people. We're trying to say to people, (laughs) everything you believe is wrong. The way you do your marriage is wrong. The way you're raising your kids is wrong. The way you think about sex is wrong. The way you're handling your finances is wrong. Your priorities, man, they're wrong. You're just wrong, 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 wrong. So whatever it is we're going to talk about, you're just wrong. But we're right. So good news for you. We have the answers. We're, we're going to heaven. You're not going to heaven. Nah, 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 nah. Oh, sorry, did I say that out loud? You know, we're smart, you're ignorant, we're in, you're on the outside. Think about it. When, and then we're going to them and we're saying, we want to help you be like us. Who wants to do that? Number one, who on our side wants to get involved in that process? It's easier just to be a good, polite, nice neighbor. On the other side, who in the world wants to have their whole life, way of life and their way of thinking and their worldview completely changed? You know, it's like, hey, I'm fine. You go to your church, have a nice time. I'm going to do my thing. We'll get together for a cookout. We can be friends, but leave me out of that. And yet this is really what Jesus has left us with. If we're going to be a church, if we're going to be what he has called us to be, the purpose, the focus, we've got to budget according to it. We have to staff according to it. We have to program according to it. The thing is, take people, he says, who aren't my followers and allow me to work through you to work change in them from the inside out. 
we're talking about the most difficult thing in the world to change a person's whole orientation to life, to relationships, to money, to marriage, to work, to God. I mean, it's a ludicrous purpose and mission that he's called us to. It's, it's like a whole lot easier to just start a new organization and it's a lot easier to kind of line up and march and protest and complain about whatever cause you want to choose. A lot easier to just start a new program, build a new building, maybe start some Sunday school classes, have a youth group, sing on a worship team. Because we can get our arms around those kinds of things. We don't need God as much to do those things. We're fully capable. But this thing, make disciples? It's pretty much impossible. This make disciples? It can get pretty messy. You can't structure it. You can't program it. You can't get people in all the classes. You can't chart it. It's not step one, step two, step three. You know? So how do you focus and have a whole organization towards something that's that difficult? And Jesus would say, well, that's why I made you this promise at the end of Matthew 28, where he said, I am with you always. Because this thing I'm calling you to is impossible for you to accomplish on your own. But this is the thing we're going to do if you're going to assemble in my name. And that's what we want this church to be all about. I want to say something to four groups of you. Now, this is a little weird. I, I kind of designed this with a bigger audience in mind. So uh, if you feel like you're the only person in, the, in a group, we're all just staring at the floor right now, okay? So <laughs> I'm just going forward with what I prepared to say. So I'm not even trying to be funny. I just can't help it. I'm not, and I'm not trying to be offensive. Can't help that either. But I just I always feel like I want to say this. Group number one, if you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, again, this is a real small group, so I'm just going to look at my notes. But as you look around your life, if you're being honest, you'd have to say that you're not really uh, growing right now, or you've stopped growing. Maybe you stopped growing a long time ago. Maybe you don't have any intention of putting in the hard work and doing the hard things, like the whole bit about the, reading the Bible. That was just, I'll set that aside. I just want to get clear on some expectations. And, and Dad and I have talked enough hours over the years to know that I can speak on his behalf here God has made his call on our lives pretty clear. And in order to pursue his calling on our lives, we can't spend our time babying Christians who have chosen not to grow in their faith and on their spiritual journey. Um, that's not what we're about. Um, there's a core group of people here who have given and given and sacrificed and learned some difficult lessons and done some soul searching to create an environment that's, that's a little bit different than some. And I'm telling you, fill in these seats with Christians who've been in the church for a long time and just come for the show and come because the music sometimes isn't half bad and, and, and come for the star on the chart, man, that will ruin us. I've been in church long enough to know. So if you fit in this first group, I don't really know what the action step is for you other than it's time. This, let this be your New Year's resolution since apparently none of you except for one have any New Year's resolutions. So you got room in your life. Here's your New Year's resolution. Get off the sidelines and let's get in the game. Let's start doing the hard things. Maybe inconvenience yourself just a little bit. Maybe read a book. Maybe read a book that will stretch you. Listen to it. That's fine. Maybe join a small group. Maybe start a small group. Maybe have a coffee with someone that you know will challenge you. Maybe get to know some people. Listen who are nothing like you. Maybe serve some people. All right, that wasn't awkward. Group number two. Group number two, you're a brand new Christian. You're thinking, I'll never catch up. I just got the shrink wrap off my Bible, and I went and bought a Bible, and now you're telling me it's on my phone? You're like, wow, now he's talking about investing in somebody's life. I don't even know where the table of contents is in this book. Listen, if you're a new Christian, can I just tell you, just relax. 
you're doing great. You're probably doing way more than the rest of us because you've already showed somebody your Bible because you're pretty excited about it. You already talked to somebody about the changes in your life because you can't believe what's happening. Your friends have asked you why and you're trying to explain the answers. And so those of you who are relatively new Christians, you know, you're probably inviting more people to come to church and to small groups because you're still, maybe you're still significantly networked with unchurched people. So I would just say to you, just relax. You're doing just fine. We've got some tools that'll help you grow in your faith. We've got a handful of small groups that meet every week or a couple times a month. There's a group that meets right here every Tuesday night, 6.30. Um, it's wide open. Doors are wide open. They're just starting a new series called um, Thriving in Babylon based on Larry Osborne's book by the same name, which, which will, will, is a game. That, that's been a huge impact on my life. I encourage you to read the book and come join the Tuesday night group, 6.30, correct? Every Tuesday night. We're working on environments where you can interact with other believers and learn, about thing, learn things about your Bible, about the Holy Spirit, about temptation, about prayer, about being a disciple. And we haven't got this all figured out, but we're working on it. And if you're a new Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for a little while, but you know you've never really grown much. Uh, you need to get involved in doing life with some people, do life with other believers. Um, if you're not sure how to, what the next step is, come talk to me and we'll, we'll come up with a strategy to get you plugged in significantly so that you can establish some vital relationships and some healthy spiritual disciplines. So group number three, maybe you've been with us at Faith Community for a long time, maybe even since day one, because there's still a handful of people that were here on day one, not here, but, you know, kind of here. Thank you. Uh, we just want to remind you, we're doing all we can. Your pastors, the elders, our ministry team leaders are doing everything we can to keep this train on the track. To be the church that we originally envisioned when we met together the first time in the spring of 97 and we prayed for that first month or two, God, we don't want to just have evangelism. We, we don't want to just have discipleship something or other be a part of what we do. We, won't, we don't want to just have evangelistic programs. We want evangelism and discipleship and Great Commission living to be what we're all about. So to those of you in this group, I say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to the mission, your ownership of your individual responsibility in the corporate vision. You're an inspiration to me. Uh, we're incredibly blessed as a church. We are blessed as leaders for sure. The last group, maybe you find yourself on the outside looking in and wondering. You're the one sitting here going, okay, I thought uh, this is going to be, you know, no big deal, no pressure. Sunday night, how, how wrong could it go? <laughs> You're like, I knew there was an agenda. I knew I was invited for a reason. I knew somebody had a plan for my life out there and they finally got me here. And the person that invited you is like, oh, of all services, this is the one. Let me just say this. Full disclosure, we do have an agenda. We do have an agenda for your life. But unlike your banker and your broker and your beautician and your mother-in-law and your therapist, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. And what we want for you is to connect with your Heavenly Father in such a way that it changes your eternal destiny. But even more than your eternal destiny, it transforms every single relationship you have between now and the time you take your last breath. So yeah, we do have a plan. We do have an agenda. So do you know what we want to do? We want to help you, to lead you, to maybe even if you'll let us influence you to become a disciple. We want to lead you to become a person who believes and, and learns and follows Jesus Christ. But you don't have to. We're not going to get in your face about that. You can come week after week after week. You can come. We're not going to make you do a thing. 
And you can just come and listen. Maybe you'll find something helpful. Maybe you'll have some questions. We'll try to answer them. You might not believe yet, and you might have more questions than you have answers. And maybe you need those answers before you can move forward. I would encourage you to sit with somebody who can help you steer you in the right direction. Come talk to me. Maybe we'll go out for coffee. In other words, you're not only welcome here, we exist for you. We planted this church for you. 2,000 years ago, our Savior stood on a hill and said, this is the deal, make disciples. So we've come together in the best way that we know how and to create environments that are conducive for you to slowly, slowly become a disciple of Jesus. Some of my favorite times in the life of our church have been uh, meetings with like, our elders or times that we get together with those in different leadership circles or ministry team leaders and we share stories and we talk about the things that say, yes, we're being successful. Yes, we're being successful in leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And we just share stories about what God is doing in our lives and the lives of people in our life and in the lives of people in our small groups and the life of that person that serves with us on a ministry team and the lives of the people that we're praying for and reaching out to. And I tell you, there, it, there is some incredible, unbelievable stuff that goes on here in the life of this church, beyond what is normally a Sunday morning gathering. It's happening. So if this were the state of the church address, I would say we're on track. We're on mission. We're doing what God has called us to do. As, that'd be a lot of fun. We should have a business meeting since no one's here. Uh, <laughs> we've never had one. We're, we're making disciples. There are a lot of uh, other good things, listen, that we may never do. We've said no to lots of proposed ideas way more times than we've said yes. But in the wake of this church, there will be people who will say, I used to not believe, and now I believe. I'm not even sure where that happened. I used to not be a follower, and now I'm a follower. It used to be I could care less, and now I'm a learner, because that's why Jesus established the church. As a church... Let's pray that we will be truly characterized by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And if you choose to join us and become a part of us, what I'm asking you to do uh, beyond uh, committing to your own personal spiritual growth is to personally embrace that statement that our personal mission in life would be to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus.